What's up, everybody? Mike Mel here on this August 16th, uh, episode number 61. Two major risks of index funds. Number one, risk is way too concentrated. Allocating too much capital to one asset class carries the risk of one, missing out on opportunities in other areas like commodities, currencies, bonds. And number two, overly depending on that one asset class that you're investing in uh, to provide all the returns. So typically, index funds to most people means stock index funds. You know, S&P funds, NASDAQ funds, international stock funds, yada, yada, yada. So when stocks trend up, especially when they you know, do so better than all other available investment options and other asset classes, these stocks investors don't really concern themselves about being overweight in the stocks. Well, you know, this is great because I'm all in, I'm making money. Who cares what anything else is doing? Because this is the point of the game is to make money, to make more money, to beat the market, all that. You know, so all they care about is that. And they don't care about the potential future ramifications of being overly concentrated when, if and when, the stocks eventually do poorly. And they have no answer. You know, they're, they're, they're depending on their ability to get out quicker to be able to see it coming and they're going to be able to tactically exit and save their ass other than you know rather than saying you know what i'm not gonna be able to know when and uh you know i don't have a clear system here i'm not really paying attention that much you know what so let's just let's keep it more balanced here because uh that that'll that'll do the job in protecting me if and when uh, you know stocks do poorly i'll have something else to kind of cushion the load and things like that uh, you know, so investors have been fed the idea in general that stocks are better than everything else. There's no need to invest anywhere else because stocks present the best opportunity over time. You know, all you got to do is just go all in and let it ride. Um, like I said, lately, investors don't challenge this idea because, you know, the past decade has been incredibly profitable and that's a long enough time for investors to start to believe that this is the new normal. This is the new market fact now. Stocks are better. See, look at the recent returns. That proves that. No, all it proves is that it's been that way lately. And in market time, you know, 10 years is a pretty normal blip of time. It's, uh, you know, in our daily lives, it it's represents a huge chunk of our lifetime so we kind of get used to this feeling um but we um you know we get used to you know 10 years worth of being able to say that stocks are better stocks are better stocks are performing better they're they're trending better they're producing better returns and you just get used to that and you say enough you say it to yourself enough times you you uh you just start to believe it um, you know, so, but good times don't last forever. You know, anyone with a telescope rather than a microscope 
on the markets can see that, and it's not just stocks. It's all asset classes. They go through periods of spectacular profitable periods and then unprofitable periods and so on and so forth. That's just how it goes. We don't know what's coming next. We don't know what's going to heat up, cool off next. You know, they all come and go. So, you know, back to stocks, the, you know, the decade of 2000, 2009 was absolutely horrible for index fund investors. You know, the S&P produced a negative return with two, draw, two drawdowns over 50%. You know, during this period, you know, that's when you get more ideas of, you know, well, you know, maybe we should look at alternative investment. Maybe we should look at international. Maybe we should look at, uh, you know, credit strategies or commodities or something. You know, that's, it's when people are losing or they start to look elsewhere. They don't see it as, well, this, I knew, I knew this was going to be the way it was going in. I knew there was going to be a period of, of crappy returns. Uh, I'm sorry it happened on my watch and right on, you know, right when I started or shortly after I started investing in this area. And, you know, history says, eh, it's probably not going to last too long, but I got to be prepared if it does last longer than I think or longer than the average or it breaks a record of, oh, you know, the, the, uh, this asset class has only been in a drawdown, uh, you know, the worst, the worst one it's ever been in has been two years and now it's going on six or something. And you're like, Jesus, you know, man, you know, obviously looking at his history, that wouldn't tell you that, uh, you know, th- this would, this would tell you that this was almost an impossibility. It's never happened before, but that's happens all the time in the markets. They're always breaking records. They're always doing things that they've never done. So, so you just got to be ready for that before you go in. Um, you know, we could easily enter another miserable period for stocks. It doesn't necessarily need to be a 2008 like scenario where you get a crash over a year, year and a half, and then you get a V-shaped bottom. It bottoms, it rallies, and it never looks back. It never really meanders along the bottom. Doesn't retest or anything like that. Um, it just kind of bounces and goes. Um, you know, the next period might not look. Anything like that. It might be a Japan-style thing where it just kind of trickles down in a frustratingly awful uh, period where, you know, for two decades or something, it just ekes lower, you know, it bounces and it rolls over, it bounces and it rolls over. You know, we, we don't look at the USA charts um, of index funds and see... A whole lot of that going on, maybe in like the '70s, maybe in like the '30s, past the uh, you know, following the, the depression. But that's you know, that, that, that's so long ago. That doesn't count anymore. That's not going to happen today, right? We hear that all the time. Um, you know, so you know, that's one other thing too is that if you're looking back for patterns to say, oh yeah, this one looks like that one. It's probably going to do that this time. That's that's totally totally false. And dangerous uh, because you think you know what's going to happen. Uh, it's usually using past pattern recognition to predict the future, and it, that can get very dangerous. Um, so, you know, ways to improve the performance of an index fund over time. I know everyone thinks they're almighty and all this and that, but there are 
a, a couple of ways to improve. One is to diversify away from the core holding. You know, so if the index fund is a stock index fund, which most people usually uh, associate an index fund with, with stocks, you know, add in commodities, add in currency markets and bond markets, and, and now more recently crypto, you know, and you get new, new asset classes that get invented, you know, they present opportunity as well. And, you know, this reduces the dependency on stocks to provide all the return because, like I said, if you go into a period of 10 years more, like in the, like in the 70s or, you know, post, post-depression or uh, even in the last decade, 2000, 2010, you get a decade or two decades uh, more of crappy returns where they just don't go anywhere, no, no new high watermark or things like that, then you're going to wish you had something else that could, that could provide some opportunity for you to make money in the meantime. Um, you know, another way, second way is, you know, implement some simple adaptive trend following tactics. You know, most people, um, you can look at the, uh, very simple, use a one year high, one year low. So if the market makes a one year low, that you're investing in, um, you know, get out. You just simply cut the position and then reestablish when it makes a new one-year high. Uh, another way is maybe one might, uh, people might be more familiar with is, you know, what they call the, um, you know, the golden cross or the, uh, uh, yeah, it's the, the 50-day moving average and the 200-day moving average. When a 50-day crosses above the 200, go long. When it crosses below, go short or um, just simply get out. So if you're investing in in an index fund that you know starts to turn down, that 50 starts to go below the 200 and now signals a downtrend, just just get out until the 50 moves back above the 200. You know, just wait. And, you know, that might be a period like, you know, I think I believe that that simple indicator got you out in January, around January 2008 um, for the S&P and other um, stock index funds. So that would have that would have saved you all the carnage of of that 50 plus percent loss um, over that time until it made a new high again. I believe it was sometime in 2009, I think maybe in uh, the spring or summer 2009. And then you just get long again and yeah. So, it, I mean, the whole point is just to protect your downside. Um, and that's, that's the next portion of the, of the talk uh, of what index funds do terribly as, you know, the second one is poor loss control mechanism. So the first one we have too much concentration, missing out on opportunities, and uh, dependent on one area to provide all the returns. The second one is poor loss control. Now, index funds will shuffle the weightings within the index. They'll shuffle the weightings of the of the stocks. You know, um, depending on how well they're moving. You know, so they will give, like the S&P's case, they will give more weight to the higher market cap stocks. And then, you know, 
pretty much rank them and then go all the way down till you get to 500 and kick out kick out the ones that don't meet that aren't in the top 500. I think there's like technically 505 or 507 in there, but anyway, um, you know, so at some point they kick the component out when it becomes the 501st highest market cap company, they kick it out. Um, they'll only include it if it's in the top 500. So, you know, that's a long time for that to occur. Um, yeah, so using here's an example of how crazy this would be, uh, and I know this does this wouldn't happen in a vacuum, most likely, but here here's here's a simple example. So using today's number, um, Amazon would have to fall roughly ninety nine percent before getting kicked out of the S and P. You know, it's it's a massively large market cap company. Um, I believe the 501st, uh, 500th uh, market cap, uh, highest market cap company in the S&P. So the ones that are like right down at the rank, uh, right down at the bottom of the rankings is about 1% of Amazon's numbers, uh, Amazon's market cap. So, you know, I understand if Amazon fell, other things are probably going to fall, yada, yada. But like, let's say Amazon was a fraud or something like that. And it fell and it was an isolated event. That's how long. That's how long it would have to fall if for it to get finally kicked out. Now, if you're a holder of Amazon directly, you know you probably wouldn't hold for that long. And also, too, if you're holding in the index fund, the index fund is going to get smoked because Amazon represents such a large uh, portion of the index. I, don't know, I believe it's like five. 5% or something like that. Um, <clears throat> so that alone contributes to 5% of the index's movement. So, you know, that I think is a, you know, just a simple example and try to highlight how crazy that would be for just a regular person to hold on to something that long. That's like holding Enron or holding Bear Stearns or uh, Lehman, all that from the absolute top to the absolute bottom uh, because at that point it's fallen 90 percent or something like that it's probably going out of business it's probably gonna you know uh, file for bankruptcy it's uh, or get bought at very very low valuation something like that and by that point you you know if you lost 90 percent you have to make 900 percent just to get back to even you lose 80 percent you gotta make 500 so you know the point is to Keep your losses small. It's of vital importance. And you know, doing so makes it easier to recoup your losses and in the meantime, maintain your standard of living and sanity, I might add. Um, you know, so the beauty, you know, one beauty of index funds is that you know, they get you on board the trends. You know? And most investors, I think, you know, without a system, have trouble with. They're, they're left to you know, pick them on their own, they're doing fundamental analysis. They're watching CNBC. They're reading articles. They're trying to find ideas of what to invest in. And that is like a hunt and peck. And, you know, it's not a system. It's, it's a feel game. It's a, it's a laziness game. And it doesn't do a great job of, uh, of getting you on board and staying on board 
the the biggest and best trends. Um, yeah, that's that's one good thing that in, index funds do. They have a simple way of of uh, getting you on board the trends, and, but they do a very poor job of getting you out when they you know they turn down when stock when stocks turn down. Um, you know, so over the last just to, just to wrap up here, um, last minute. Uh, over the last 50 years, index funds have produced risk-adjusted return ratios, which I would, you know, we ha- I have a way of, of comparing one investment to another uh, or one stock versus another. And you can't just use <clears throat> compound annual returns, can't just use the, the volatility or the worst loss. You need to normalize them, compare, you know, use them um, uh, against each other. So... This simple ratio of compounding returns divided by the worst loss uh, is what I like to use. So over the last 50 years, index funds have produced a uh, risk-adjusted ratio of 0.1 to 0.3. And the S&P falls, you know, kind of in the middle of 0.16. That is what people love. You know, that is the index too. And you can, you know, they have all those reports of average investors earn a lot, lot less than that because they can't stick to it. All those reasons. So just to show, you know, an 8% return, if you want to earn an 8% return, which, you know, a lot of index funds have done over time, you would need to stomach through a loss ranging between 27 and 80%. That's average. Okay. That gives you that 0.1 to 0.3 risk-adjusted return ratio. Uh, so 8% return on a 1% on a 0.1% ratio gives you 80% loss, and you you, know, you get the range from there. You can do the math and, and find out. Um, you know, so for context, you know many index funds lost, like I said before, 50% during the financial crisis. The Nasdaq lost 80% during the dot-com crash. Nikkei lost. 80 over three decades and Greece I know they're a small country and they have uh, they're not the United States but anything could happen Greece most recently lost around 90% so you know can you afford to lose half of your money like that's that's like the safe bet that's the that's probably going to happen because that happens all the time 80 90% losses are you know much more much more rare um, but they do happen as well, and it can't afford to happen on your watch because if it does, it just takes you that much longer to get back, especially with in today's age where there's, you know, I know they say inflation's low, but inflation is pretty high for a lot of basic needs, school, health care, things like that, and you know, um, taxes are going up, and... Um, you know, it's just a hard, and, and, and oh, and you have interest rates that are, that are next to zero. So, and even negative in many places, you know, across, uh, across the pond in, in Europe and other, um, other international areas. So, you know, it just makes it that much harder to get back to even if you do lose your principal. So, um, I don't, I don't, you know, these are just two these are just two things I point out with index funds. I know they're probably the best option, easiest option for a lot of people because it's like, you know, the lazy man's way to participate in the market. 
especially especially in a cheap way. But uh, these are two major risks: concentration, where you know if if the if the asset class within the index is, goes through a period of crappy returns or no returns, you are stuck. Um, and God forbid they go down and work against you. Uh, the indexes themselves have poor poor rules in getting you out and protecting your capital. Um, they do eventually protect it. You know, they, it 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 does do that, but it does a does it a poor way. I think we can come up with a better way, and you know that's something that you know hedge funds try to do, um, and you know non traditional investors like you know trend following CTAs and and other funds uh, just that just try to do a better job and they try to produce a better risk adjur- or risk adjusted ratio of 0.1 to 0.3 um, you know they try to do better than that over time um, and we do that like I said there's a couple easy ways to do it uh, just to rehash again in case you forgot is to <clears throat> include other asset classes Commodities, currencies, bonds, crypto, even you know venture. Although I know venture kind of correlates highly to small caps. And another way is to just implement simple trend-following tactics to to the index fund, to any any investment uh, to protect your stuff. It's something that helps you get long in uptrends, gets out or short even if you want to do that in downtrends. And and helps you get out. Also, when there's when there's no trend at all, where there's uh, you know, no opportunity, not really strong one way or the other, up or down, it just helps you preserve your capital uh, a little better. And that's all I have today, guys. Uh, I will uh, talk to you guys next week.